Hello and welcome to Reef Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from the cinema where we've seen Dream Scenario. Yes. The new uh, sort of black comedy fantasy film starring Nicolas Cage. Um, I'd say it sits alongside... I, I always associate these kinds of films with Charlie Kaufman. I think he kind of kick-started a new era of this kind of comedy fantasy that's essentially set in the real world, but with a, a twist yes. on everything. So here the twist is that Nicolas Cage's character is this um, PhD university professor. He's an evolutionary biologist. He wants to write a book. He's got a wife and two kids. They're happy, but he's kind of meek and mild and all this kind of thing. And he starts showing up in people's dreams. Mm. Not necessarily people that he knows, and not everybody dreams of him, but he just starts showing up and he becomes this kind of minor celebrity because of it. And there will be spoilers, you know, things develop. Um, and I kind of associate this with, with like, remember we saw um, Downsizing, which mm. is not Charlie Kaufman. But it has a similar sort of thing, like real world, but there's technology that can make people tiny. Um, Charlie Kaufman obviously has like eternal sunshine on the spotless mind and being John Malkovich, which one is about technology, one is about just kind of magic that mm. <laughs> people can go inside John Malkovich's head. But even before that, it definitely didn't originate with him. Like if you think about like Groundhog Day is similar, mm. maybe things like Heaven Can Wait or Matter of Life and Death have similar aspects. I was thinking more of films like Her. That, yeah, there's certainly a relationship, I think, um, or a similarity. Because I do think that it's a film that uh, is both a kind of a, a critique of contemporary culture, right? So, you know, I was reading in Wiki that Peter Bradshaw saw it as a kind of a, a take on celebrity. But I think it's about much more than celebrity. It's also about university culture and cancel culture. And it has kind of you know, philosophical implications. So, you know, reality and dreams are always distinguished, but the ethics of it, who bears responsibility for your dream, right? Yeah. Yeah, is, are things that are put into play in the narrative. So I think it's a film that I initially thought of as a kind of a contemporary Woody Allen film. Yes, that's another good you reference know, because, point. Uh, some of the speech patterns and, you know, some of the way of making jokes you know, was very similar to, to Woody Allen, uh, though I thought Woody Allen was uh, less knowledgeable about the philosophical things he, he talks about. Mm. Yeah, so he, he made glib references to Marshall McLuhan, for example. Yeah. You didn't get a sense that he actually had read or understood, you know, kind of those things he was referencing. Whereas in this film, I thought you did, actually. But the film is also, I, I thought, much less um, dexterous with people and feelings and the dynamics of relationships, actually, than I thought, you know, kind of Woody is. <laughs> yeah, the other contrast I would draw with Woody Allen's work is that Woody Allen is much more astute at going for a laugh and getting yes. it. Yes. And this film is definitely a comedy, um, but it has a kind of, it has a kind of dourness or like a dour is maybe too harsh, but it it wants to try to invite like a comic scenario or something. I don't know. I thought or it, I combine it with drama, I guess. But I also thought that it's a film in which all the laughs uh, uh, come from Nicolas Cage. Yeah. You know, and so I think they're actors laughs. I think he's so he's so phenomenal in this. He's so great 
you know, that he manages to do that in a way that the film actually doesn't. I had very low expectations about this before seeing it, having seen the trailer, um, because it made me, it's definitely come from like meme culture. And I think I've even seen Nicolas Cage talk about him being a meme, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of stills and gifts of his movies, you know, spread around and they're used as reaction gifts and that sort of thing. Um, And I think that this film kind of has a, a basis in that. And, you know, there are real, like, in fact, they even make reference, well, they don't reference it specifically, but they use the phrase, the most interesting person in the world, mm. um, in reference to him, because he becomes so interesting, because everyone dreams about him. Um, but that phrase, the most interesting man in the world, or the most in- interesting person in the world, is a meme of its own. Mm. It's like, it's one of these pictures that's used in reactions, and it has its own particular set of meanings. And then the thing is, that guy, who's that most interesting man in the world, is, I don't know if he's a celebrity or not, but, like, these people, like, that. The, what the film is kind of playing with in some degree is that the the ways in which we use and propagate images ignore the real people behind them. Like sure. there are actually real people that are in all these images that we use as reactions to mm. things and kind of it's sort of built to a certain degree out of that. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the reason I had low expectations is that it reminds me of the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I haven't seen. So it's not I that I thought that's those. a terrible film. That was Nicolas Cage's last film, which we never right. got around to seeing, or one of his most recent, where he was with Pedro Pascal, and he's playing himself, I believe. I think right. he maybe plays himself and a twin. And, you know, it's kind of it's a wacky comedy where Nicolas Cage is himself. And the thing is, Nicolas Cage is such a personality in and of himself that it only really makes sense with him. Because he's interesting, because he's... He's a very well-regarded actor, and he's won an Oscar. He's also seen as kind of a joke. Uh, yes. I mean, his career is so long. I, I, for me, one of the great pleasures of, of watching the film was little things like, uh, you know, because he used to be so beautiful, yeah? In a kind of way, he had these droopy eyes and long eyelashes, and, and of course, he had the washboard stomach and the muscles and so on. And... Mm-hmm. He always seemed a bit off, yeah, that, you know. And I thought kind of what an interesting transformation because I found him really believable as a milk toast, <laughs> ordinary person in this film, right? So that's one phase of his career. Obviously, he's had other phases where he's completely over the top. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that you associate with Nicolas Cage is him going OTT, yeah, in, in certain roles. He's not afraid to be flamboyant. Whereas kind of, you know, this is a, a, a very restrained, I think, a very believable performance. Yeah. And just watching, you know, so this is, I suppose, a longer thesis on how people, at least people my age, relate to an actor aging on screen. Because mm-hmm. I kept looking at things like, you know, his hands and uh, the wrinkles on his face and his feet and his legs. Right, you know, and kind of, you know, how how kind of people's bodies bend over time and they age and they wrinkle and they get liver spots, Mm. right? You know, so kind of while you're watching him, you know, play this ordinary character uh, who's who's then kind of made famous, I'm thinking about, yeah, all of those things. And and the thing about um, the unbearable weight of massive talent is that was being sold as this kind of wacky like Nicolas Cage is himself and what a joke and mm. that's all where, where all the jokes come from and I thought I just I really hate the look of this I really hate the kind of people I reckon who would like to see this um 
you know, it, it's very much like a there's like a modern kind of snakes on the plane thing going on with it. Where it's just like internet culture wants to see this film, and I just don't think that makes for a good film. Mm. This looked like it would be playing on that, and then to go online and just you know, type in dream scenario reviews and to see Google coming up with all these audience scores of one and two stars and people being disappointed is like they people actually I think really wanted this wacky thing that I was dreading, and then to find out that it's not what they mm. thought it would be, or not as energetic as they thought it would be, they've, they've been let down by it. It's had good reviews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Critics seem to have got on with it, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's interesting because I found the film very interesting, uh, but also it didn't quite work for me. Yeah, kind of, you know, there were real longers and, you know, I was thinking, how is this film going to end and where is it going? And, you know, so I found it more interesting as an idea or as yes. a concept, you know, than than as a film. Uh, so I don't agree with the reviews, but I also don't agree with the audience. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, kind of uh, this film has a lot more going for it than one star audience <laughs> reviews will suggest. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and maybe cinephiles will find a lot more of interest in the film than the average film goer. Yeah, I um, I would have to say really very little of this film ended up working for me. It began promisingly because it sets up an interesting idea and starts playing with it in an interesting way. But I think reasonably early on, for me, I would say when it becomes about sex dreams, um, I started... No, to th- I thought that was a mistake. That's well, I started to think this film is already kind of running out of ideas, or at least it's not, it's not um, working through its ideas well enough, because what it ended up kind of doing was going, okay, this guy appears in lots of people's dreams, and he's a real guy. What kind of dreams could they be? They start off being, you know, he's just banal, and he's just standing there, and he does nothing, and it reflects on his ego, which is another interesting thing. Um, but then they're like, okay, well, the dreams should be different now, so maybe they're having having sex in some dreams. Um, and then they become about nightmares, and he starts murdering people in the dreams, and that leads to a whole other thing. But it's like, like the film is going... We've got this basic idea. Let's play with the three or four ways in which it can be sort of manipulated. But it doesn't. To me, it ended up not cohering into anything. It was a a series of ideas not well worked through enough. I don't know. For me, a lot of those ideas hit home. Yeah, I'm an academic, so you know all those things about uh, cancel culture. Uh, and to a certain extent, uh, competition with other academics or, you know, this thing about you stole my ideas from 40 years ago, his relationship with students, and also the whole thing about, do you want to be a celebrity? Or <laughs> Then, you know, the thing about the comparisons to Jordan Peterson, right, as someone who's been cancelled, the whole concept of cancel culture, you know, whether you should be responsible, I mean, the, the questioning of trauma, and what is it? And, you know, people you banding that word around kind of, you know, so so easily now. And, you know, should the world objectively be responsible for whatever you experience in your mind, you know, psychologically as trauma, however you define it, right? Uh, and should other people kind of suffer? Uh, to what extent are your rights to your trauma, whatever shape it takes, and to be protected from it. To what extent does, 
you know, should that impinge on kind of external reality? I think all of those are kind of really interesting questions, I think, you know, that I kind of um, connected to, right? So again, spoilers, but there's a, 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 a shift in the film where it goes from just this benign, anonymous almost presence in other people's dreams, mm. yeah, where he's in the background, kind of become nightmares, right? And, you know, he begins strangling people and, you know, brutalizing them and so on. And all of a sudden he becomes persona non grata on, on campus, his car gets vandalized, you know, he's asked to leave the university, right, kind of, and he keeps saying, well, but I've, I've done nothing, it's all your dreams, like, you know, why am I responsible for your dreams, right, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, and I thought that was all kind of very interesting, yeah. Um, now, I did think that there was a problem with the way the film conceives of dreams, because the only way that the film conceived of dreams was pretty much sexual, right? And then it, they became nightmares, right? So, you know, whereas you could think, well, we, are, we have a variety of dreams, like, you know, kind of... Well, they start off as essentially random before you get into the sex dreams. You know, the film opens with the thing about stuff falling from the sky, which is not, it's not sexual, it's not violent, it's just a weird dream. You know, so it does okay. have, it does have a kind of, a, 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 an idea of dreams as just like how wacky with wacky things happen like the guy walking through the field being chased by a guy and he's wearing a tuxedo it's just called a wacky then it becomes more specific about what kind of dreams it's showing you I thought the film didn't do enough about showing the variety of dreams yeah. we think about right like uh, I don't know skydiving or swimming with dolphins or you know being in love or uh, but also there's the idea of the dreams as being forest or the, something dreams being the way in which we process things you know it's the way in which our subconscious mind handles our our fears and anxieties and hopes and all that kind of thing and he and and the Nicolas Cage character says as much at one point but the film hasn't actually done anything with that idea no the the film that he's is he could he be invading someone's dream in which they are processing something could it be affecting their decisions that sort of thing that's not an idea the film is no um, I think the film is also really most concerned with this critique also of how even your dreams can be monetized by corporate culture, right? I think the film is too quick to move on to that uh, uh, critique of of selling and the sale and of advertising culture and how, you know, uh, uh, social media is not enough. Soon they're going to, like, colonize your dream, yeah, to sell you stuff. Hmm. So, which... And it doesn't do it funnily enough. No. And I think it works too hard on, on just, it goes too he- heavy on that idea without doing enough with it. And, you know, like when the, the sort of PR agency that Nicolas Cage goes to and they suggest um, we could get people to drink Sprite maybe by advertising it in, your, in the dreams somehow. You know, not to say they've worked out how we'll do that, but that's the idea. And he turns it down. He says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to commodify our dreams. He says something along those lines. And it's like, that is all the film needs actually to do with that idea. When it buys into it later on, it, it it's not then developing it enough in order to you know, make more out of it. It's well, just going see, with it. I would have liked to have seen more of it and for it to have been better. Right, so when they in fact invent a gadget that allows other people to go into dreams and sell them stuff, you know, I would have liked to have seen glossy advertisements, lots of examples, maybe a montage. You know, like it felt so inept. Those, you know, those two guys appearing and like, yeah, you know, I thought that was like uh, a huge disappointment. I would have liked to have seen 
Sprite commercials with Nicolas Cage or, you know, in Dreams, something equivalent. I mean, it just visually it was like so bad, really. I mean, it felt like an obvious place to go for me, but so many things did. Um, I'm just disappointed that it went for it so heavily without having nothing mm. that creative or inventive going for it. Um, and it had things that are insulting, that, you know, should be questioned more or at least made funnier, you know. So this whole idea that France is a place where American cultural rejects can find a home is, A, a real prejudice, right? Because, you know, kind of French culture has been as much in thrall to American culture in the 20th century as any other, mm. yeah? Uh, you know, but if you think, okay, well, they worship Jerry Lewis, for example, and kind of, you know, America at the moment doesn't, you know, but if you're going to go there, then make it funnier, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. once once he arrives in France and it basically is just, you know, kind of a book signing and yes, they've changed his book and whatever, but it has nothing to do with them being in Paris, right? Like, you know, I, I, I just thought it was, some things were just not thought through, really. Mm, the writer-director is Norwegian. Ah. Um, as opposed to American, which I think, you know, so maybe that has some, some bearing on why France was chosen or what the idea behind it might be. But mm. um, I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't occur to me as, as particularly smart, although it didn't also occur to me as particularly egregious. It was just kind of, I guess, far afield from where he's been affecting people's dreams. He he um, is trying to make this living and it's been promised to him and it's not turning out to be no, what was hoped there's for. There's a pointed commentary you know, because they say, there's a line where they say something like, well, everybody hates you now, except in except France. For, yeah, except for the French, yeah. So, um, you know, so, so something is being said about French culture. Which and was, then, it was funny when it was a throwaway line, but then it becomes, oh, a book tour in France. Yeah, yeah. and so kind of, you know, those scenes that take place in Paris, they should have been funnier. I mean, there's yeah. something, there should have been a reference to it being in Paris and not just, you know, to wear the hand, what was that? Of the hand. Oh, the Freddy Krueger hand. Freddy Krueger They make hand. him put on a glove for a photo shoot because yeah, I mean, he's been killing people in, in their dreams and they call him Freddy Krueger. Yeah, so just because you ask him to do that with a French accent. <laughs> yeah, like... I, anyway, so so I think it's a film full of interesting ideas that are not fleshed through uh, and that are not rendered very cinematically and that its biggest strength for me is Nicolas Cage, who I think is astonishing in this. I don't think I've ever seen him better. Really? Yeah. Mm. I think it's its only strength, really. Um, I mean, I've always had mixed feelings, uh, you know, about him. I mean, I've loved him in a lot of things. I love him in Moonlight. Uh, and I think I first saw him in Peggy Sue Got Married. And <laughs> Moon, Moonstruck. Moonstruck, sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Moonstruck, Arizona Rising. Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. <laughs> Um, you know, all those 80, 80s films, he's phenomenal. And then there was Leaving Las Vegas, I think, that won him the Oscar. And then he became a huge star of action films, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of like different yeah, stages of, of his persona. And then you're right, he became kind of a joke, really. Yeah, like, I think because I think he had a, a divorce or where he lost all his money. And then he basically took on anything and he was making like five films a year or something, mm. none of which I've seen. Um, but I, I think I think this is even when he was doing those 80s films 
where kind of he was fresh to the screen and so on. He, to me, he never quite convinced as an ordinary person. He was always like too goofy, he, yeah, mm. uh, uh, which I think became part of his persona. But this time, I think you really believe him as a kind of a middle-aged or uh, milk toast, really. Like, as you know, I mean, to imagine somebody OT, so OTT, kind of as someone who blends into the background, who, you know, who appears in corners, who, yeah, people can't remember and people don't, don't want to invite because he's too boring. And I found him absolutely believable, you know, kind of representing that. Plus, you know, he's got this enormous technical skill where he can get a laugh just out of a line reading, really, you know? Yeah, he, he, it's um, something I really recognise, particularly from Bad Lieutenant, which he was wonderful in. And it was mm. it was in a flicker of the eyes mm. or or the way in which he laughed and acted in a slightly unusual way. And, and there's something very Nicolas Cage about, you know, that kind of... Um, awkwardness but i mean in bad lieutenant he's he's often doing it in a way that's supposed to intimidate someone so it really makes sense you know whereas if you're trying to get on with someone and acting that way you go i don't get what this guy's doing mm. um but you know that kind of those those little bits of technique or or kind of flourishes and bits of flair and things like that um do show up here in certain line readings and things but the obvious um uh reference in terms of his performance which I think some people will be screaming that we haven't mentioned it so far is adaptation. Um, yes, of course. Not only um, in that the you know it's a Charlie Kaufman film and it has some similarity in the kind of it's you know normal world but a bit weird sort of thing, but he is dour, boring, ordinary, milk toast blends into the background mm. in that film, and then you know um, it it plays an awful lot with with that persona. Um, it's, it, you know, maybe kind of reasonably early film to kind of play with Nicolas Cage persona, even if only in that by this point in his career, what is 2002 adaptation, mm. um, he had developed um, uh, a kind of reputation for flair and overacting maybe. Mm. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> you've got a film which is asking him to be as boring as can be. Mm. Um, um, I'm having a quick look through IMDb because I can't see uh, his uh, filmography on on Wiki, so just bear with yeah, me. Yeah, no, he's got such a big filmography, it's got its own page. Ah, okay. Um, Face Off, of course, that's really, I think, where the OTT stuff might have started. Mm. Uh, he's He's got 120 credits as a... Uh, I know, what a list of credits. There's so many of them. How many have you seen? Basically... From Bad Lieutenant, which is in 2009, I mean, I've seen some of the films, but I don't recognize him in them. Like, you know, I didn't, I can't remember that he was in, in Kick-Ass. Um, but the oh, other he's films... Big Daddy, he's, um, he's the, 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 the dad character to, right. um, to Chloe Grace Moretz. But then these films, Tokarev, Outcast, Left Behind, Dying of the Light. Well, some of these goes. are video on demand. If you look at the Wikipedia page, it gives you notes for the ones that are video on demand. And right. quite a few of them are. Okay. Um, so that right. may be why you're not recognizing some of them. I think, uh, um, you know, so so basically, you know, for the last 20 years or so, uh, yeah, he, he he's done very little that is kind of distinguished, really. And this film just reminds you how good he is, really. Yeah. Um, I wanted to think of a, a tiny little bit more about the many themes that the film is um, playing with. Um, 
because I don't think it ends up having a real thesis about any of them, but it brings them up. And and it's not I, this isn't something that I found disappointing. Actually, I thought if it had tried to do something richer with them or more substantial, it would have failed. Um, so these ideas of things like cancel culture and the film vocalizes the idea of cancel culture. And the, so the idea is that um, the Cage character has started murdering people in their dreams and terrorizing them, and he is effectively cancelled because of it. And he, well, you know, as you say, won't be seen on campus. He's basically forced to take leave. Well, um, vilifies. And then, and and that that PR company suggests that he could become a hero of cancel culture in the way that, like Jordan, Jordan Peterson, Peterson, Joe Rogan is also mentioned. We can get you on Rogan, you know, mm. and like Joe Rogan's podcast is, I think, the biggest podcast in the world, and it is seen as um, a kind of intro to the alt right. And get the alt right is also mentioned in this, and yeah, and the film essentially is vocalizing this, saying we can get you into the alt right, seeing it as a kind of place where, kind of quote-unquote, cancelled grifters make a living, mm. um, you know, we can make you one of them. And he you know, turns that idea down. He's not interested in that. But and I think it's interesting because it would be so easy for this film to uh, kind of position itself as uh, anti-cancel culture and anti-woke and all that kind of thing. But I like the idea that it brings up those ideas um, and has its main character turn them down and say, I don't want to be a fucking cancel culture guy. I don't like it. I don't like that stuff. The film is, is bringing up, you know, the, the thing that you mentioned about trauma and, you know, he, and the main character is that everyone's fucking traumatized these days, but he doesn't go any further with it. You know, it just kind of, it brings up an idea, but then doesn't go on to build an ultimate well, thesis out I'm, of it. I'm not sure about that. And I think actually the way that you're describing it is a way I like, and it becomes more interesting and complex in conversation because the film is about a man who loses his life, right? Because of what other people think, of what other people dream, mm -hmm. that, that he's had nothing to do. He's done nothing to deserve that. He's, you know, none of his actions can correlate to why people think of him in, in, in a particular way. It is their dreams. But that's where I think it would centrally fall down if it tried to make more of it than that, because literally he has done nothing to these people. He's not in control of these dreams, as far as anyone is well, aware. What... In real life, the idea is that even if it, the, the reaction is ridiculous and far too much, people have done something sure. initially to kick it off. But what I find interesting in the film is that the film refuses the Jordan Peterson Rogan position. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, at the end of the film, this man has lost his life mm -hmm. as a result of what other people dream, right? And, you know, it is a dream. It's like, you know, just like, you know, it's a movie. It's not real life, mm -hmm. right? Kind of, you know, uh, but, you know, so they're the victims and and they're the victims of their own dreams. But he, in reality, is the physical victim of what their dreams do to them, right? So I think that the film is actually much more interesting and complex to think about than that, mm. right? So, you know, because one thing is not equivalent to the other, right? Kind of, you know, it's your dream, but actually it's my reality. And you could say, oh, well, your dream affects your reality, but you're the cause of it, right? Like, you know, mm. whereas actually you kind of, you know, beating me up. It's like your action on me in reality. It's not like whatever you dream of me doing to you. So I think, uh, and, and he is the one who pays the price at the end, who loses his family, he loses his children, he loses his house, and he loses his job, 
you know, and that's how the film ends with. Now, yeah. I think a better film would have uh, drawn more emotion from that than this one does. Um, but I think kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting set of ideas coming from contemporary situations and kind of critiquing, you know, our culture uh, that are worth thinking about. And maybe the problem is that actually maybe people thinking about them, you know, will make them more interesting and complex than the film itself does. The film more substantially uh, reminds me of something like The Lottery, the mm. Shirley Jackson short story. Okay, I don't know. Uh, it, um, it's from, I think it's from the 60s, maybe. Um, and it's about a kind of group of townsfolk who a, a person in this town is selected by lottery to um, take on, basically they end up being stoned to death by the mob. And the thing that's really kind of viscerally powerful, at least while since I read it, from what I remember about it, is it's about the viciousness of the mob, the facelessness of the mob, mm. and how they can take on, they, they can act together. So the film is dealing with this idea because um, you have this motif running throughout it of Nicolas Cage's work being about the hive mind in ant comics, yes. you know, and it's and that's like there's not an accident, of right? Course. It's talking about how how these ants act together, and the film doesn't go into great detail about it. It's only a motif in the background, but like I think it's really important that like it's pointing you towards the mob. It's pointing you, you well, it kind of it it uses various devices. It refers to the hive mind specifically, you know, both through his research and then through what happens on social media. And then it has all this commentary on on Jung and the collective unconscious and so on mm. that kind of, you know, so it's not just the power of your dream, it's the power of a dream that's shared, right? Because, of course, he appears individually in people's dreams, but the fact that he appears <coughs> in all of these people's dreams makes it kind of a collective uh, experience of trauma. Mm. Um, so, so well, that's quite a scary and powerful idea to me. That's something that really works for me. Mm. That you know the the, the 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 way in which you know people together mm. act differently or or encourage each other sure. to act in certain ways, and there's and there's like a tipping point effect, and and you know, and people start behaving inhumanly towards other because there's no there's there's basically no. The mob does not in any way, I say the mob, the people who are affected by these dreams, um, are in no way act kind of rationally as the film goes on. You yes. know, like if it were rational, they would understand that, um, you know, this is, this is just, uh, this is just a dream and the man doesn't do that. And you have that scene where, you know, the people who've been affected by this and they really, it's funny, it reminded me, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it reminded me when I was at school, I had a dream and I don't remember what this dream was. But when I woke up, I knew that I hated my friend Harry. Mm. And I didn't hate my friend Harry. Harry was fine. Mm. But for like two weeks, I was kind of a dick to him. Because something had just like switched in my brain that one so, night. So you were like one of these students in this film. Like, it, <laughs> I, like this, it's not like, it's not completely <laughs> like unfathomable <laughs> that you can actually be affected by your own just stupidity and like delusion and whatever. Um, so you have that scene in here where, you know, the, the, the kids, because all these kids who are his students are having all these dreams and being traumatized by them. And you have that counselor who the film is kind of, I think the film is always half serious about um, the kind of things it's, it's, it's showing you and half mocking them. I think mm. it kind of, so like, I think this woman, she's talking about trauma and how 
you know, your bodies are or your brains have put these emotional triggers in place to protect you from something that it thinks is dangerous, your teacher. Um, and you're like, yeah, that's quite sensible. But at the same time, there's an element of mockery in it where it's like he, they're getting the guy to come in and stand at the back of the room. Can he advance five paces? Can he advance ten paces? And will you accept it? It's very obviously silly as well. Mm. So the film I can think is... is <laughs> the, the two phrases that came to mind were sitting on the fence and having it both ways. And it's not doing either of those. I think mm. it's genuinely just... Um, playing with that idea mm. um and not kind of taking a side on it it's kind of it, it's it's um well i think i think it is taking a side i mean you know uh so nicholas cage is the hero and the film is taking his side he ends with nothing so it's not disrespectful to the students who are traumatized mm. but i don't think it's taking their side either i mm. mean you know, that scene where they are with the cognitive uh, psychologist or therapist. Behavioral therapist. Behavioral therapist in the gym, you know, and, you know, when they one begins to run away and the other begins to run away. And, mm. you know, at the very sound of his voice, I don't think, you know, you're meant to feel with them at that point. You know, you're, you're no. meant to feel with him, right? Um, but he's not making fun of them either. Um, no, I agree with that. Yeah. So... It could very obviously be more taking the piss out of yeah. that kind of response, and it's not doing that, um, which I think gives it a more interesting place than than it otherwise might. Um, but I do ultimately think the film really failed for me. I think it, you know, once I started to figure out that it's, I started to feel like it just doesn't really know exactly where it's going, or, um, or have any meaningful sense of narrative drive well i think everything could have been better that's for sure and i started looking at my watch <laughs> took a long time to end i thought as well yeah it did um i mean when he goes to see his wife he, she's kicked him out of the house for having humiliated her for that apology video the apology video is another kind of kind of uh commentary on modern you know it made me think of that kevin spacey video mm. when he was you know, being vilified and then he put a video i think he maybe put a couple of videos out one year after another completely cringe yeah yeah and you kind of thought like why is what is, and, but, but also i mean it's not just him the the online apology video is a part of I know, social but, media culture again, but that's a good example because that's where i thought the film could have been funny mm. right because afterwards you know the the wife and the daughter say oh that was so cringe I didn't see it as cringe. I saw it as a, like a cry from the heart, right? So I think you know if the if the, if the filmmaker could have made a joke about it, could have shown how cringy it was or so. On. But I thought there was a real disconnect between what I was feeling about that, which is I felt for him, whilst also thinking this is not going to get you what you want. It's a self-expression thing, mm. you know, uh, uh, rather than a making amends thing. Um, but but the family's response was bewildering to me. I didn't I didn't see why it was cringy. I I think I got that joke. I mean, I took it as a joke immediately when he's done this video, and the video itself I don't think is especially cringy. I took it as essentially genuine. Yes, even I though it, he starts off with the kind of you know I'm going to make this video, but it it very quickly seems to become a genuine outpouring of pain and grief to the yeah. cam to the camera, and then that kind of hard cut to uh, his daughter watching it on her phone. 
and going, I'm going to have to kill myself because she understands what he doesn't, which is how this will play to people. Right. That's what the family understands. The family understands this does not look genuine. Doesn't matter what you think it is. Well, then I that's think, not how people I think will the take filmmakers it. should have done a better job of it because, you know, I, I, I remember that point very well when it mm. comes to the daughter, you know, uh, and I thought, well, kind of, you know, what what's so bad about it that makes you want to kill yourself? Really? I, yeah, like I I hadn't seen that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think if that's the response you want, then actually it should have been filmed differently. Um, but I, I I do think that it's kind of um, an unskilled film. Yes, and I think um, in terms of cinematic skill, the film is definitely trying to do a few things creatively, yes. audio visually. That I don't think we've necessarily given it credit for, or maybe you'd say it doesn't deserve the credit, but I think it's at least trying with kind of dropping sound out or flashing oh, yeah. in imagery. The that... editing was interesting. Yeah. Um, no, I, I got I got all of that, you know, and I appreciate all of that, um, but I still think you know that it's unskilled. I mean, you know, uh, so scenes that are meant to be terrifying really aren't, and they could have been, mm. right? Um, I mean, you know, all those slasher scenes at the end, they could have been shock more shocking and they're not. Um, you know, that uh, potential sex scene could have been hotter and it isn't, though it would have been a problem maybe if it had been hotter. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you could do with the situation. And I just think the film doesn't. And I think the film looks drab, you know. Mm -hmm. Initially, I thought, oh, they're going for a 1970s Kodachrome look or something, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because the look of it was so different than what we're used to seeing. But actually, that kind of dissipates. I, I didn't get the sense after that first impression that that is what they were looking for. You know, that it just kind of became drab, really. Um, so I think in terms of, you know, where the camera's placed and also the narrating or the drawing in of either laughter or, or, or other types of feeling, the film really, you know, worked only sporadically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, I think it's just not not a very good film and not one I enjoyed very much. Mm. But um, I am heartened that uh, all the people who wanted, you know, a new wacky meme Nicolas Cage film uh, were so disappointed by it. That really makes me happy. So <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, um, thank you all very much for listening. <laughs> we're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>
All right, funnily, okay. weirdly, in the scene where um, they do the coup d'état and they, they go to all, all the guys in the morning and tell them they've got to resign or yes. you're coming with us. The one of them um, is having a succulent breakfast. I remember that. And yeah. that's a line from Democracy Manifest. All right. <laughs> a meal, a succulent Chinese meal. Uh-huh. Definitely it's a reference. <laughs> which is interesting. Remember in There Will Be Blood when um, the Kevin, Kevin Joe O'Connor, is that the, the actor's name? Yes. Who plays his brother, his half-brother. And he yeah. says, I'm your brother from another mother. And it makes no sense in that context. And, you know, and it's apocryphal language. Exactly. It? But like he just put it in because fucking why not? 